if you were here or if you remember, Brian kicked off the X series, giving us a vivid picture. Remember? The gospel is an atomic bomb, which creates a huge impact. Having read Acts myself for the past few weeks, I think I can agree with Brian, and I think Luke will agree with Brian as well. For it seems obvious that in Acts, Luke is interested to show the impact of a historical event, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Throughout the whole book of Acts, Luke presents to us the impact of the gospel, the impact it has on individuals and on communities. People were transformed simply by hearing the gospel and experiencing the Holy Spirit. Back two weeks ago in chapter 19, we saw how this piece of news has persuaded and turned the Ephesians away from worshipping Artemis to worshipping the true and living God. Last week, when Andrew preached, Luke sort of took a break, I think, from this gospel impact presentation in order to explain the method or the way the gospel impact continues. It is through the proclamation of God's word of grace by elders and overseers whom the Holy Spirit has made. Well, this morning, Luke resumes his gospel impact presentation, showing us again the inevitable, the unstoppable impact that the gospel creates. I'll go through with you in three scenes, as you can see on your outline. Acts 21, scene 1. As we begin with Paul's seemingly mundane itinerary travel journey, let us take note of what he witnessed, what he experienced in his travel. In verse 3, he landed in Tyre, an ancient trade center, a famous coastal settlement, made a free city under the Romans. For a modern-day equivalent, perhaps you can think Hong Kong. In such a prominent city, verse 4, Paul witnessed gospel impact. For the word of grace has apparently already transformed lives and making disciples of Jesus Christ there. And then in verse 7, Paul arrived in Ptolemais, another important trade center, a strong fortress of the Roman Empire, a modern-day equivalent, perhaps you can think, Malacca. Not Malacca today, but in her prime years, in the 1500s, during the Portuguese rule. Again, in such a significant city, Verse 7, Paul was warmly hosted by individuals whom the gospel has transformed. And we see the same phenomenon in verse 8 again in Caesarea, a Roman Empire administrative park. Maybe think Putrajaya. Just imagine the river to be the sea. In this city again, we are told, lives Philip, the evangelist, and his four daughters who prophesied that is in this city the gospel has impacted families who now in turn impact others by prophesying, proclaiming the same gospel. Lastly, in verse 16, in Jerusalem, Nathan of Cyprus, probably a well-known man, 
was another convert. So city after city, Paul journeyed around Asia. He cannot but witness the inevitable impact of the gospel, transforming lives. And just in case we think that these individuals were merely superficially transformed, that the change involved nothing more than acquiring a special VIP pass to enter each other's house for free, Luke reported for us verses 5 to 6. So that we know the gospel truly transformed people deeply from the inside. These people have just met Paul. And yet, look at them. I mean, think about it. Have you recently sent off someone with your entire family, an extended family, from KLIA? These Christians regard Paul not just as another MLM member. He is a brother in Christ, whom they can kneel and pray together as a family to the same Heavenly Father. Friends, besides the Gospel, have you seen anything at all that transformed relationship so instantly, so truly, so deeply, so madly? I haven't. I spoke to two new visitors in SMAC here sometime last, last month. It was the week that one of us here was baptized. They have never met him before, the man to be baptized. But they told me during morning tea that they literally could not hold back the tears. Tears of joy as they saw this new brother standing before them. As Paul traveled across Asia, he met real people of different ethnic social, economic background, all impacted and deeply transformed by the gospel message. Don't you find that it's easy? It's easy, isn't it, to doubt the power of the gospel to transform? It is just mere words. Can it really do the trick to save the world? Well, this morning, believe or renew your belief in this mere word of grace, for it truly transforms. Well, Paul not only witnessed the impact of the gospel, he himself bore witness to the impact of the gospel. Let me show you how. Back in chapter 19, verse 21, if you can remember, Paul was resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. And then in chapter 20, verse 22, Paul was constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. God had ministry work prepared for Paul there. However, verse 4 in our passage, through the Spirit, the Christians in Tyre urged Paul not to go. Well, the Spirit can't possibly contradict himself, isn't it? Telling Paul one thing and the Christians another? What is probably happening here is that it is true, it was through the Spirit that the Christian learned of the danger that awaits Paul in Jerusalem. And out of the love that they have for Paul, not wanting to see him hurt, 
they urged him not to go. Just like in the case of Agabus that we read later, in verse 11, Agabus prophesied and Paul, that Paul will be bound and delivered to the Gentiles in Jerusalem. The Christians, not the Spirit, then urged him not to go. Well, how did Paul respond? He responded by bearing witness to the gospel. Bear witness to the impact of the gospel. Verse 13, he says, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, he's saying, Guys, haven't you understood what has happened in the gospel? What impact it has on our lives? The apostles were imprisoned and beaten unjustly, and yet they left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for, for the to suffer dishonor for the name. X5. And have you forgotten that nothing's happened outside God's sovereignty? Our Lord was crucified and killed by lawless men. He was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Because of the gospel, we now know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, even imprisonment and afflictions in Jerusalem. All things work together for good. I recently read about Mihai. Let me tell you about Mihai. He is a son to Romanian Christians who were imprisoned for their faith in the 1950s. One day, he visited his mother in a communist prison after two years. He hardly recognized her after all the tortures. Her first words to Mihai were, Mihai, believe in Jesus. Instantly, the angry guards pulled her away from Mihai and took her out. Mihai wept seeing his mother being dragged away. That minute was the minute of conversion for Mihai. For he knew that if Christ can be loved, under such circumstance, he is surely the true Savior. Similarly here, the Apostle Paul took the opportunity to bear witness to the Gospel, affirming his willingness to die for the name of Christ. And that strengthened the believers to echo his trust and reliance on God, saying, let the will of the Lord be done. Well, by the end of scene 1, we read in verse 15, After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Well, if Acts were to be a drama series like CSI on TV, this is when the commercial appear and we are left on a cliffhanger. With all these talks and warnings that we have heard about Jerusalem, what is going to happen to Paul? More importantly, what will happen to the progress of the gospel? Well, sin too. Verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. 
Well, seemingly, Paul continued to witness the positive impact of the gospel. Verse 18, on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Nothing surprising. Paul continued to bear witness to the impact of the gospel. This time, particularly on the impact it has on the Gentiles. But it is worth noticing that Paul related one by one the things that he had done? No. That God had done. That means as Christians, you and I, when we bear witness, when we give a testimony, the primary focus is on God, not us. As the familiar hymn puts it, nothing can I boast in. My life is scarred with sin. My works are filthy wrecks. No marriage can I bring. Yet mercy filled Christ's heart. Love took him to the tree. It's grace alone which saves me. Christ's blood that sets me free. And that is why we see in our passage when James and the elders heard the news concerning Paul's ministry, they glorified Paul. No, they glorified God. For gospel impact in people is caused by God. So rightfully, to God be the glory. And just on this same point, I think any preacher should cringe if after a sermon, the congregation praises and glorifies him rather than God. Because that could mean that we have not been talking about God enough. Moving on, verses 20 to 26. Paul, having met, having, having a meeting with James and the elders in Jerusalem, all seems to be going on well. But we soon discover that there is an issue. Verse 20b. James first reported that God had been at work among them. Thousands of Jews have become Christians. However, these Christian Jews were zealous for the law. What does that mean? That implies that many of these new converts had been influenced by the Pharisaic position. Back in Acts 15, in the Jerusalem Council, we have already heard about this group of people. Chapter 15, verse 5, Some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise Gentiles and to order them to keep the law of Moses. However, by the end of the council, chapter 15, verse 9, James concluded, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. And James himself in our passage referred to this incident when he ended his speech. Verse 25, But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment, referring to the letter that was decided in the Jerusalem Council. Basically, James is saying, Paul, we have no issue at all with the Gentile Christians. 
not obeying the Mosaic law. We sorted that out in the Jerusalem Council already. The issue here is with the Jewish Christian. Because these guys have heard accusations against you, Paul. Verse 21, that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to be anti-Moses, to be anti-circumcision, to be anti-customs. What is to be done? The situation is that the Jewish Christians have been wrongly informed about Paul and his position. Paul has been misunderstood. For no way in the book of Acts has Paul encouraged Jewish converts to abandon the law or their customs. But some of you may be thinking about, how about his letters? Well, 1 Corinthians 7, let me read to you, verses 18 to 19. Paul says, Was anyone at that time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keep the commandments of God. Or Galatians chapter 5 verse 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So even in his letters, Paul did not ask them to do any of this. He only treated these matters as neither necessary for salvation nor binding on the conscience. Paul clearly did not teach what they thought he had. Instead, Paul taught that you can do everything that you have been doing pre-conversion as long as they don't compromise the gospel. That is why Paul can take up James' proposal on purification here and went along with it. Verse 24 Take this man and pur- James said, Take this man and purify yourself along with him. Thus all may know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourselves also live in observance of the law. What did Paul do? Verse 26 Paul took the man and the next day he purified himself along with him and went into the temple. Paul knew that the Jewish Christians were big on the tradition of purification. So he joined them and even paid for them. Some of us here may be surprised that the Paul we know, or we thought we know, could agree to such a proposal from James. But Paul had no problem with it. Why? I think it is because it is not a doctrinal issue. We have seen that when salvation matters is at stake, Paul did put himself out there. Back in the Jerusalem Council, together with Barnabas, Paul debated fiercely with the apostles and the elders, arguing that salvation is by grace in Christ's true faith alone. He hammered that home until Peter and James got it. So we we can't doubt Paul's position doctrinally on salvation. This issue, this particular issue, however, is one of culture, ceremony, and tradition. 
But some of us may still cringe at what Paul was doing because we remember his famous words in Philippians 3, verse 4. Let me read to you. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisees, as to the zeal of persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I gain I had, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Some of you is going, alright Paul, that's the Paul I know. Come on Paul, give it to James. Don't hold it. Give it to them, the Jewish Christians. Rubbish. That's what this issue is about. But Paul didn't do that. Verse 26, he took the man the next day and purified himself along with him. Let me read to you what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 9. And that should shed some light. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I become the weak, I become weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in his blessings. Paul is not saying here that, I, that he becomes a Muslim to win the Muslim. But he is willing to have a halal kitchen at home so that he could be hospitable to his Muslim friends. The Paul we know is convinced of the inevitable impact of the gospel on people, on their belief system, on their worldview, their race, their culture and their tradition. But where the gospel is not compromised, he's willing, he's tolerant, he's loving, and he's humble. He put them aside. Here, for the sake of Jew-Gentile solidarity, in other places, for the sake of winning others for Christ. Well, we, finish, we will finish off with a brief look on scene 3. At the end of scene 2, we saw Paul made a godly and loving decision. Right? That should have pleased the Jewish Christians and brought peace in the Jerusalem church. So, could Paul have in fact avoided the prophesied trouble in Jerusalem after all? It is now peace? Well, verse 27, let's see. When the seven days were almost completed, 
The Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stir up the crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Verse 30. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. Verse 33. Then the tribune came up and arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with chains. He inquired him who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another. As he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought back to the barracks, to the prisons. Paul did no wrong. In fact, he was misunderstood. But despite being misunderstood, he forsook his rights. And yet, what we have seen here is just the beginning of Paul's long imprisonment. If you have been following Acts, you may say, don't worry, Kenneth, God will send an earthquake and save Paul. It's not going to happen this time. He won't. So, what will happen to the impact of the gospel? Paul is in jail. Has the gospel finally died down? Well, as we read the rest of Acts in the weeks to come, the answer is an absolute no. The gospel impact remains unstoppable. Even in seemingly dire situations, God is always at work to transform and change lives through his proclaimed word of grace. For the matter of fact is, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. No one, nothing can stop God. In a communist prison, in Gala, Romania, there was a Christian man named Grecu or Grechu. He was in prison for his faith in Jesus. When Christians were sentenced to death, they were allowed to see their wife before being executed. Grecu's last words to his wife were, You must know that I die loving those who kill me. They don't know what they do. And my last request for you is to love them too. Don't have bitterness in your heart because they killed your beloved. We will meet in heaven. These words impressed the secret police officer who attended the discussion between the two of them. He later learned the gospel and told this story in prison where he himself had been sent for becoming a Christian. The gospel impact is unstoppable, not even in the prison. So do not be ashamed of the gospel, which is so easy to do. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 
I mean, look around us. I mean, beyond the fences of Samaria Cathedral. They are literally dead men walking everywhere. Dead in their trespasses and sin. The question is, from God to us, can these bones live? God's word to us this morning is, yes, they can. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, send us out with confidence in your word to tell the world of your saving acts and bring glory to your name. Amen.